You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Domecast. I'm Colin Campbell from the NC Insider. And on the panel this week, we've got Don Vaughn and Will Doran from the News and Observer. And a new voice on Domecast, in addition to our team, Danielle Battaglia, also of the NC Insider, joining me to cover the wonkier side of state politics and government. Uh, welcome, Danielle. Um, Thank you. Enjoying getting a chance to put you on the spot in a, a uh, podcast light. Uh, but we won't make you go first. Uh, we'll start off talking about the voter ID ruling last week. I think when we uh, last podcasted, we had an idea that a ruling was coming and what it was going to be, but we didn't know what the judge was actually going to say. Um, and then as a New Year's Eve gift to Will Doran and any other reporters uh, covering the topic, the judge uh, issued their lengthy ruling. And um, now we have a pretty good sense of why we're not going to need a voter ID. So tell us a little about what the highlights were, Will. Yeah, you know, these judges really don't have any respect for anyone's New Year's Eve plans. Um, or Friday <laughs> evening plans or Sorry. anything after 5 o'clock plans. <laughs> yeah, we, we see a lot of these late afternoon decisions. And this was yet another one. Um, but that's the job. Um but she, yeah, she uh, said Loretta Biggs is her name. She's a judge in the Middle District uh, of North Carolina, the Federal District Court here. And she put a temporary injunction on our voter ID law that was supposed to go into effect uh, for the 2020 elections. She said not so fast, put it on hold, and said that that was because it was written at least in part with discriminatory intent. If this seems like deja vu... That's correct. Our 2013 voter ID law was also uh, struck down. It was actually full, fully ruled unconstitutional in 2016 due to having been written with discriminatory intent. But the laws aren't exactly the same. In fact, they're, the judge even said that in her ruling. She said, you know, I'm not saying that this new law is a mirror image of that 2013 law. The 2013 law famously had a lot of other non-voter ID changes uh, for people who weren't Paying attention back then, it had uh, things like restrictions to early voting um, that were quite problematic to the judges who saw that. Basically, they found that the legislature had pulled a bunch of data on what races of people vote using which methods, and then the judges found that they targeted African Americans with almost surgical precision. That's a direct quote from the, the ruling. Republicans came back after that ruling and put, and put on the ballot in 2018 a uh, voter ID constitutional amendment Voters passed it uh, by a double-digit margin. is pretty popular. Got around 55% of the vote. And then uh, the legislature came back to actually write the details of what that would mean. And when they did so, they really steered clear of doing a lot of the things that that old 2013 law had been problematic for. They didn't do any of the early voting restrictions. They were much more lenient on the types of IDs that could be used. For instance, uh, they decided that college IDs would count. Um, they put in a provision allowing people to get IDs for free. So they really thought that they had addressed everything that uh, the courts would want to see. But Judge Biggs did not agree, and she said, no, 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 this still has a tint of racism, essentially, to it. Uh, there's a claim that you know voter ID laws disproportionately affect minorities since they're less likely uh, than white people to have identification. Um, and she said, especially given North Carolina's history, not just recently, but, you know, throughout history with Jim Crow and literacy tests and poll taxes and everything like that, you know, we kind of have to take anything that North Carolina does with a grain of salt. 
especially since it was essentially, you know, supported by all the same people who supported the 2013 law and she blocked it. Republicans were infuriated by this, um, you know, as you might imagine. Uh, they do not appreciate so, being called racist. Was an unelected judge overturning the will of the people? Uh, exactly. The constitutional amendment? I feel I like I've, I've heard that one before as well. But I, Yeah, we, we saw that almost that exact same sentence dozens of times probably, um, noting that she was an Obama appointee, an unelected judge. Overturning we were discussing the will this of the earlier. Federal judges, they're all unelected. It's the state judges that we get to elect. So it's, it's she's not out an unusual position by being unelected. That's like all of them. Right. The, people only point out that judges are unelected when they, you know, dislike. <laughs> well, that's also like depends on the state. Like they're not elected in Virginia at all. So. Sure. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, Republicans were outraged and they said, you know, how can you call this racist? And they said, you know, one of the sponsors of this bill was Joel Ford, uh, who obviously is a former state senator, a black Democrat from Charlotte uh, who sponsored the bill. Uh, the bill also had, um, it par- passed almost entirely along party lines, but it did pass. Um, but it did have a handful of Democrats who supported it in the legislature. And um, about half of them were black. I think uh, there, there were two, uh, two black Democrats who had supported it. So, you know, Republicans have been pointing to this and, you know, saying, well, you know, if this was really racist, like, don't you think that, you know, Black people would have known that it's racist and opposed this, but instead you see them, like, you know, at least some of them in the legislature voting for it. So right now we're just kind of at an impasse waiting to see what's going to happen. Josh Stein has said that he's going to appeal this uh, for the state. Obviously, as the attorney general, he is in charge of the state's legal strategy on this. Um, Yeah, the legislature doesn't get any say as to whether they appeal or not, although they're... Correct. They're very vocally uh, saying what they want Stein to do. The but legislature Stein is, still is criticized. You right, right. Doing that anyway, right, right, right. The legislature is not a party to this lawsuit, which they are sore about. They would like to be, uh, but they are not. the The lawsuit, the the defendants are Roy Cooper and the State Board of Elections, which makes the legislature pretty jittery because Roy Cooper has been fairly clear that he opposes not just voter ID in general, but also this specific voter ID bill, which he vetoed. And, you know, said that it would, you know, I think he called it a a solution in search of a problem. Basically, it's not going to do anything except potentially disenfranchise minority voters, is what he said when he vetoed it. So, you know, Republican lawmakers are jittery about having him, you know, and uh, Josh Stein, a Democrat, leading the legal defense, uh, you know, the the strategy as as we go forward. But Stein has said he will appeal uh, the judge's injunction on this. but not for the primary, basically, so the primary is just too close. Because um, absentee voting starts in just, like, next week or two, I Mid-January. Yeah. I don't remember the exact day, uh, and I don't want to mislead people, but it's very soon. Um, obviously, the election itself isn't until March, but the, the primary technically starts within just a matter of days. And so Stein said that he didn't want to confuse people by having the judge rule that there won't be ID, and then maybe at the last minute, if you were to win the appeal, have it get reversed all of a sudden, but then you have all these people, you know, who didn't go out and get IDs because they thought they didn't need to, suddenly unable to vote. Didn't they already print out all those mailers? I mean, isn't they, this kind They of printed out some series? mailers. So the state was going to do a whole series of mailers telling people, hey, you need to go get voter ID yeah. if you don't have it already. Uh, they had sent out one of those in early December, but there were a series, I think there were three others that they were going to send basically between uh, December 31st when the judge's ruling came down, stopping it, and election day. So what um, did that cost? 
it, you know, it, it's hard to get an exact estimate from the from state elections officials I've asked. Um, you know, it's definitely in the in the tens of thousands of dollars that you know has been saved through that, if not more. Um, but you know, also we could go right. back to doing these mailers in the future if you know voter ID gets reinstated for the twenty twenty general election or for any future elections. So you know, little little too soon to be uh, you know attributing cost savings or anything. Yeah. Like Meantime, that. though, they're not going to give you uh, special photo IDs at the um, elections board offices. That was part of the mm-hmm. uh, law was that you could go to, if you didn't have an ID, you could go to your election office and register to vote and get your picture taken and they would give you an ID. They, as of Friday, have been ordered to stop doing that, apparently in an effort to avoid confusion about the voter ID requirement. So if you got one before they stopped doing that, it's probably a collector's item now and maybe you can sell it on <laughs> eBay for like political paraphernalia nerds. I might buy one if it was cheap enough. Yeah, you know, I've seen some criticism of that decision as being short-sighted, um, particularly from the right side of the aisle. Yeah, I think saying, Phil Berger retweeted me on that one or something. Uh, <laughs> I had some comments to add. You know, saying that, you know, like, look, if, if voter ID, you know, does come back, you know, by November, you know, you know, why, why are we stopping this effort to get free IDs to people who want them now? And I think the, you know, the reasoning from uh, the state officials who've made that decision is basically like, well, you know, we don't want to give the false impression that people need voter ID right now for the primaries and we don't want to confuse people. And, you know, if they hear about their neighbors, you know, going to get a voter ID and then they realize they don't have one, maybe they won't vote or something like that. So, you know, really what you're hearing a lot of is, you know, just avoid voter confusion uh, from the state, obviously. It's not without criticism. I mean, just how late this came and all of it, you know. I mean, that's been the trend with everything that we've seen lately. It's, you know, late decisions, you know, the, I mean, with the gerrymandering lawsuits, the, you know, the maps didn't get, you know, fully written until just right before the filing deadline for people to run in the 2020 elections. I mean, all, all of these lawsuits, they go on for months or years, and then it seems like they always just kind of come to a head just at the very last minute and everyone is scrambling and frantic and we need a constitutional <laughs> amendment to set stricter deadlines on judges and court cases to wrap up so that we have more certainty about what to do about voting and everything else that seems to be in contest these days. Yep. <laughs> uh, I think that covers uh, voter ID. Um, other news in last week, which was, I guess, surprisingly not as quiet as we expected for a week of New Year's Day uh, plopped into the middle of it. Uh, we had... Um, Presidential candidate news in, in North Carolina. Uh, Michael Bloomberg was here and in Fayetteville. Also rolled out a bunch of TV ads, uh, which I'm told from public records that uh, started running middle of last week and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on. Uh, Danielle, you were at as one of your first assignments here the Bloomberg event. Um, what were your your main takeaways from his speech and uh, the event you attended here in Raleigh? I think. One of his overarching messages was he's running against Donald Trump. Um, It didn't seem like he had any other opponent in the race. He was focused on Donald Trump and um, criticizing the negativities that come out of the White House right now, calling off, you know, no more tweeting from the White House, um, talking about their time together in New York and how he didn't like him even back then. Um, You know, the crowd seemed very happy with him. I think there was 250 people there. And so they... um, 
I heard no booze. Somebody asked me that on Twitter. I heard no booze, only cheering. He did have a good playlist. Um, he it's always a, important that they have that, like... Good playlist. Yeah, good playlist to start yeah. off with, but especially when they show up late, which is, like, 90% of the time. It's, like, pop culture and New York-themed playlist. Yeah. <laughs> um, On brand. Did they play, yeah. like, every New York song? Yeah, it seemed like it. Any pop New York song, so not, like, like Sinatra, line. but... <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, and then he talked about, you know, world events, like what was going on in Iraq last week. Last week? Last yeah. week. And then um, the coal ash being taken away from, you know, Duke Energy plant. So he talked about how important that was and how important it was for people to come forward and request, I guess not request, but demand that to happen. Did people yeah. say, like, why they went? Because some of the other campaign stuff we've covered... People were like, oh, I didn't have anything else to do, or I thought I'd, I mean, what was like? I thought there might be free food here. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't, you know, a lot of them were just like there because, yeah, okay, why not? And I had the time and they visited my city. I wanted to ask that, but they stuck me in a corner behind like the bleachers that the TV media is on. And oh, so yeah. I couldn't, like, I was getting tripped over by his staff. So I never made it, I mean, never made it to the people. <laughs> Yeah, Let, sometimes I feel like that's on design sometimes. Can we pause and grade for a minute? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, we're late for airing of grievances this year, but let's do it anyway. So I understand why they do this, but every at the Trump and Fayetteville, at Warren and Raleigh, at, not at Biden, at, but at Bernie and Chapel Hill, they put... Well, Biden apparently put a Charlotte Observer reporter in, like, somebody child's bedroom in some house where he was having a fundraiser. Oh, yeah, with some... But yeah. their actual, like, campaign rally. So both Trump, Sanders, now Bloomberg, and then who was the other one I was talking about? Biden didn't do it. Um, Warren will, like, line up all these um, tables, preferably with outlets, and they're behind the risers where the cameras are. And that's great because you like it's visual and get them as close as you can. I understand their strategy there and how are they going to run, you know, all the outlets for us. And I understand that. But like reporters are like one person bands a lot of the times. And we're live tweeting this. We're taking additional things other than our visual journalists and to not be able to see what's going on. So we've had to have like two people do it. Like with, um, I remember with um, when Trump came to Fayetteville, um, one of us would stay at the table and the other one would go around to the front of the camera so you could actually see what's going on. And with um, Bernie too, it was the same thing. Like we, well, we didn't even have reception because the Wi-Fi was so bad. You know, I'm trying to think when we went to the Bernie rally, I'm not sure that I ever even saw him. Because you're right, we were just kind of stuck by the it's TV. It's a disembodied voice <laughs> the TV cameras. Yeah. yeah, well, we had to take turns, like, because <laughs> yeah. there were no outlets, because it was outside, and the Wi-Fi wasn't for media. It was just, like, the UNC Wi-Fi. So I was like, well, I'm going to, like, go around here and try to see people, and then, like, no video tweets would go through anyway, you know, oh, yeah, just to try to... Too. And you, 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 I mean, just the way that we're expected to live-tweet things like this, you... Um, you have to have some sort of photos to go with, like, you know, not just the back of, like, the tripod. You're lucky you had a table because I had my lap. And I had cords going every direction. Plus, people were storing things under my chair. Well, so. I, did, I did have to <laughs> lean against the wall for the Kamala Harris and Durham. And then, um, but anyway, with the Biden, they it was a weird setup because it was Hillside High School. So it wasn't a big enough space to do that. But it was actually tables that were set up to the side. But also, you really couldn't see anything. Yeah. I've, I've if, talked if any, to campaigns. Uh, campaigns like... are listening to this, <laughs> hey, hook us up with places where we can plug in a laptop and also see what's going on. Because uh, yeah. that'd make a big difference. 
Yeah, and um, there's got to be some like Tetris way of allowing, you know, you obviously want like the, you know, the big equipment to have the the best visuals, but um, we're all working together and sometimes your, you know, your outlet can send three people and sometimes it's one. So anyway, and, well, and, I've and great. Quickly, so you all, when you tweet, got a million hits. So you want those tweets coming from the three of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, political Twitter in North Carolina is it's where it's at. Danielle's yeah. previously a police and courts reporter for the Greensboro paper, and uh, the audience there is perhaps a little less eager to. Oh yeah. Blow up your Twitter account when you're covering a big event. The day you guys announced I joined, I had to charge my phone three times because my Twitter went crazy. And I'm not used to that. <laughs> yeah. People are very excited to learn of new political journalists in this state, apparently. And we love our followers. Yeah. yeah. So or at we, least most of them. Yeah, most of them. There, there are a few people I've had to mute. But for the most part, y'all are great. And I appreciate the uh, engagement with my work. Um, anyway, back on Bloomberg. Uh, yeah. Which we, uh, so, which you could barely see because of the campaign yeah. setup. So. So there were dignitaries there, uh, other key Democrats, but I'm hearing not really much in the way of endorsements per se. The mayor was there, but not to do an endorsement. She did not endorse. um, And I didn't hear of anyone endorsing. I think think we reported, not me, that there was eight mayors across the country that have endorsed Bloomberg. Um, I know they seem very friendly with each other. They were joking about how Raleigh and New York, those size... Size-wise, they're very different. They're very much the same in what people need. So there was definitely some bantering going back and forth. Well, I'm curious because I remember, so Michael Bloomberg was my commencement speaker at college graduation. And like the, the campus Democrats like protested him pretty vociferously, like way more than the campus Republicans did. And so I'm kind of curious, what was the... The cohort of these, you said there were on two, three hundred people there? 250 is what their campaign staff, I would have estimated about 200, 250. Um, that's what they told me, though. But um, I saw no negativity in the crowd. I know I got some tweets saying, like, let's go raid the place. Danielle, where are you guys at? I'm not going to tell you when I'm standing in the building. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there was no negativity that I saw in the building. Definitely Twitter was blown up a little bit with some <laughs> anger. Yeah, I feel like you see a lot of the... It looks like there are a couple of lawmakers uh, from the legislature that showed up to this, but I feel like a lot of them are are hesitant to make endorsements because, one, the Democratic Party is so, you know, factional at this stage of the primary process that you're just going to alienate people if you step in and pick one over the other of the the candidates that are out there. Um, The other thing with Bloomberg, too, is that Bloomberg Cities, Bloomberg Philanthropies gives, like, millions of dollars to local governments. Like, when I covered Durham, I wrote about... A lot of money that Durham got. One was about sort of a parking study or looking at transportation habits and stuff. And they've gotten um, a fair amount of money from, obviously, not him personally. um, But there's that whole being, and of course, Bloomberg is the news organization. There's a lot of, he's not your typical uh, candidate with like. Yeah, he's kind of more pull, just even if you don't support him politically, just because of who he is and what he's done. Um, So I think that's part of why you see. A lot of people, dignitaries in particular, showing up to this sort of event. And why some people don't think he should be in the race, too, yeah. clearly. He, he had a ton of friends there, too, including his kid's babysitter from back in the day. He kept, like, lives in Raleigh? I or? have no idea. He kept like seeing random people in the crowd and be like, oh, that's my friend so-and-so. Oh, that's my friend. And then one of them, he's like, oh, she used to watch my kids. So 
So I wonder if he has yeah, a Bernie had the show. Ben and Jerry's. Was it Ben or Jerry that came? What? I only remember Danny Glover. Uh. <laughs> That's right, Danny Glover. <laughs> Her lethal weapon came out before like the students there were born, I think. No, it was, um, who was it from Ben and Jerry? Yeah, it was, was, it was it. one of them, I don't remember. And they made one. jokes, and Bernie did too, about like a pint in every freezer, like the whole chicken in every pot. Does like, he have his own ice cream pot. flavor now? Does Bernie seem, I don't know, yeah. does he? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. But we haven't had the... When I covered 2016, I feel like we got a lot of like the celebrity visits towards the end of the campaign and the candidate visits we've gotten so far, no one brings along any celebrities. Like Hillary uh, Clinton was constantly sending <laughs> famous people down here. Because one day I, I went to go do a segment at Spectrum News and their welcome sign said, welcome Colin Campbell, Lena Dunham, and Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest. And I thought that was the weirdest trio. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you know what's so weird is like I forget sometimes that there's like other there's at least one other reporter called Colin Campbell, and I saw some tweet and it was like I was like why is Colin tweeting about this? And yeah. I'm like oh that's the other. There one. are four or five of us weirdly. I don't know <laughs> why like, that that's doing? a thing. Uh, anyway, we've gotten. Are you the, the only Danielle Battaglia that I know of? I mean, there's a model in Italy with my name, and I think there's a couple of doctors because they keep inviting me to like the LinkedIn version of like a doctor. Like LinkedIn. So I get a lot of those invites. You could become a fake doctor. What's your name? I do nothing illegal. <laughs> <laughs> there is another Don Vaughn, like in Wake County. Um, oh, we have Don Vaughn, the attorney in Greensboro. Yeah, Vaughn is like, it actually, like, well, this really is like a sidetrack. Yeah. But like, yeah. Vaughn is like an additional last name I added when I got married. And so my husband's family actually showed up uninvited. Um, from um, Wales in like the 1600s 1700s in like present day Wake County. So there's Vaughns everywhere and the proper spelling is with two A's. So oh. that's why they're all over North Carolina. That's why I'm excited to be in Raleigh because you have Bates Battaglia and Judge Battaglia in Durham. Yes, because yeah. yeah. I, I already knew how to yeah. pronounce Battaglia yeah. because Nobody Judge else in the state does, but when I come over here, everybody always Yeah, knows Battaglia. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you related to Judge Battaglia? Not that I know of. I'm definitely not invited, or not invited, not related to Bates. Um, not invited to his parties. Not invited to his parties. I'm also not related to any politicians. There's some, like, state lawmaker with, like, like Don, D-O-N, and Yvonne, because uh, when I called former governor um, Bev Perdue, she thought I was the other one, like, with a joke, saying I was a reporter or something. I didn't quite catch, like, all of that, but anyway, so no relation at all. Anyway, getting back to politics, uh, <laughs> since uh, whenever Jordan's here, we go uh, way off track. We're talking about judges like, and the governor. That's yeah, that's sort of yeah. related. Um, we do have, uh, we will have more news to talk about next week because our friends at the state legislature are coming back to town. It seems for, like they just left. I know, yeah. It's just end of October we last saw them. Now they're back for what we're hearing should be a short session, um, but the actual length of it seems to be variable. I'm hearing from folks on the Senate side that they would like to be done and gone in two days. No. Um, I will believe that when I see it. Um, I talked uh, earlier today on a different story to the state representative Chuck McGrady and asked him to prognosticate. He said it might be a couple weeks. So I think, you know, anywhere between two days to two weeks to beyond. Um, I mean, you know, I'd look at, you know, the betting line on like, if we're going to still be here in like June. Yeah. That's, <laughs> Hopefully we're not, but it yeah. would not shock me. And the stated goal is to, at least on the Senate side, uh, they say they will be calling a vote on the budget. Oh, override. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. That's I've thing. fallen for that. What was the George W. quote? Like, like where he stumbled and he's like, fool me three times, shame on me or something. Like 
you guys don't understand that. Yeah, Some of the listeners that. will remember that <laughs> when George W. Bush like tried to make that like fool me once, fool me twice, and stumbled over it. And yeah. Anyway, I'm not falling for it again. Um, when you say that there is um, going to be a vote called, because I've sat there when you didn't call the vote, so I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to to watch for that, and if there's not a vote called, or if the vote goes down in flames, and uh, Cooper's veto is sustained. Will we see more mini budget bills? Will there be action on health care or Medicaid or anything else? Um, I mean, the sky is usually the limit when they come to town. Um, or we could just see completely random things that we weren't expecting at all, which has also been a, a history of things that happen over there. So, and those um, that have primary opponents will be, um, you know, what they say is going to kind of be in that sort of lens of, of trying. Oh to yeah, get I mean, there you know, you're at that point you're going to be six weeks out from a primary. So anyone who's got a strong primary challenger, and I haven't really been able to assess which of the incumbents have like just some rando who filed to run against them versus like a serious mm-hmm. challenge that could boot them out of office. Um, those two things usually, usually end up being surprises after the fact, particularly if they're in districts uh, well away from where we sit in Raleigh. The one primary I'm interested in, we've talked a lot about um, outgoing Senator Floyd McKissick um, on Domecast recently and um, two um, people vying for his seat. So it'll be interesting to see which one of them makes it through the primary. And, of course, McKissick himself is still... Um, yeah, if he ever if resigns. He ever leaves, Apparently right. he's, according to WRAL, having a campaign fundraiser now. Right. Uh, before get that he shuts things down so, and actually resigns. So. Yeah. Oh, also, speaking of, like, leading up to the primary, Elizabeth Warren's campaign told me today about how they're, they've announced, like, their senior staff, and it's six people. Some people we're already aware of, others new... Um, and they've previously worked on Cooper's campaign, um, on Obama's campaign, on Hillary's campaign, on McCready, and Stacey Abrams, I think, is the rundown of like their various previous work. And of course, with the um, state Democratic Party. Um, so their headquarters are in Raleigh. They have four offices across the state. So Warren is um, obviously doubling down here ahead of Super Tuesday. And Castro endorsed her today, and he, I think, was maybe, or at least in the triangle, was the first presidential candidate um, of the Democrats to come earlier this year when he came and marched with, um, raised the um, minimum wage workers. Um, So he has thrown his support to Warren, so I don't know how that will play out as far as voters here elsewhere. Um, When Warren campaigned in Raleigh the next day, um, she had another event in Raleigh. Uh, where she was talking to Latino voters. So I think maybe Castro being the only um, Latino candidate on the, um, on the short list, um, maybe that will like help get her some, some voters, or at least that's what they're hoping for, I assume. Well, lots to watch out for with the primaries coming up and the legislative session coming up. Uh, I think we about talked about every useful piece of news from the holiday week last week, so we may just skip over our usual uh, headline of the week moment unless anybody has anything they're burning to get out and uh we'll i think uh, daniel is the headliner daniel's the headliner of the week because (laughs) (laughs) the headline in my life is that i'm not uh a one-person reporting team anymore after a two-month uh period of having an empty position so all right right. is that by general consensus yeah my consensus uh, daniel's the headliner of the week and uh, (laughs) we will uh be back next week with another dumbcast thanks for listening 
You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.